So we know it's very common for Christians to have been flow moved from church to church, never committing themselves to a group of believers, a group of fellow believers, and or submitting themselves or submitting themselves to the care of a group of elders, which is our form of church governance that we believe is biblical. I personally don't think congregationalism is in the scriptures whatsoever. Okay? But what we do clearly see well over 20 times is in one way, shape, or form, whether it's the book of Acts or the epistles, is reference to elders, a plurality of men in the local church. You know, there's several, several reasons why I believe, we're still in the introduction, by the way. We'll get out of the introduction in about 10 more minutes. Uh, there are several reasons, <laughs> by the way, that, that membership or commitment, you notice I'm putting those two as parallel terms, is falling on hard times. One is, out of a strong sense of independence, people think that they can have an individual, personal, private walk with Christ. That they can live for Christ on their own. That they don't need any help. They can do it all on their own. They fail to see, they fail to see the importance. They fail to see that the Bible teaches not only a personal relationship with Christ, but also a corporate relationship with Christ. What has happened too often is, you know, you think of a body. The Bible gives us that analogy over and over and over again. You think of that, but people have severed the head from the body. And so I could be with the head, but not with the body. But that nowhere is evident in the New Testament. Other members, just for some reason or other, or other people towards membership or commitment to a local visible body of believers, just treat it as a low priority. They've got other things to do. They don't think about it much. They don't, they don't think it's, it's not a high on their to-do list. And so they never get around to it for whatever reason. They just think there's more important things to do and to find a church to commit to, a local church to commit to. And then finally, you know, many people just don't have a biblical understanding, which is what I want this sermon to be about this morning for the next, you know, 20, 25 minutes or so. However, and this is what I think a lot of people don't understand, and I want to say this, that most people are unaware of, an unwillingness to commit to a local body of believers is reminiscent of one's lack of commitment to Christ. I want you to think about that for a minute. I think it's clear in the New Testament the way we show our commitment to Christ is by showing our commitment visibly to a group of people, other followers of Christ. That's what I mean by that statement. And I don't think we think that richly and deeply about what the body of Christ is. In other words, when we think about the church, please think with me, we need to think about Jesus. How oftentimes do you think about the body of Christ and not think about Christ? I think that's the problem. Every time we think about the church, we must also have in mind Christ. Yes. The church is full of warts, pimples, sinners, right? But, but that's why Jesus is our Savior. And so every time you think about the church, we should be thinking about Christ and his forgiveness and his love and his patience and his endurance, his perseverance. Because that's who we're to emulate. So we know there's no possibility of a perfect church. So when you think of the church, you've got to think about it being the body of Christ. It, it, is, it is his body. His body. His body. Remember in Acts chapter 9, he told Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul did not throw a stone at Jesus. Paul didn't drag Jesus into jail. He was throwing church people into jail, and Jesus took it so 
personally, he said, why are you persecuting me as to say, not as if to say, but he's saying that when you harm one of mine, you are harming me, and I take it very, very personally. Wow. It's his body. It belongs to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Okay, we're not talking water baptism here. The Greek word means immersed or placed in. Okay, that's all it means here. You're placed into a body. So when you come to Christ, you have personal relationship with Christ. You enter into his body. You therefore have a personal relationship with the other people that are also in Christ. It's a both and, not an either or. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. He's the one that places us, baptizes into his body. I love verses 11 and 18 of that same chapter. But by one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually. Just see, we'll talk about the gifts of the spirit. But not does he only distribute personally the gifts of the spirit to every individual. But listen to verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body. Just as he desires. So when you're looking for a local church, you need to be praying, okay, Jesus, what body do you want to place me in? What local body? Yeah, now let's just clear this up real, real, real quick. There is the universal church. That is all the believers of all time. They're all saved. But we're talking about the local church here. A visible local body of people who claim and profess to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's what we're talking about. The, 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 the visible expression of Christ's church is, is local. Okay? Jesus says he will build his church. He gifts his church. He placed them there as he wills. He purchased it with his own power, with his own blood, with his own sovereignty. So I think one of the main problems today is that when we think or talk about the church, we don't really think or talk about it from his perspective. We just talked about it for the last couple of minutes. And so here on this special day, we, we acknowledge on our inaugural, inaugural, I know I'd say that messed up, our foundational group of members. I, I want to do two things for us this morning. First, I just want to define what membership is. And then number two, there's not three this morning, aren't you surprised? Just two things. Show why it's important. Define it, why it's important. So if you will, open your Bibles to Hebrews. I just selected these verses for reading this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, 23, 24, and 25, and then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. I think it will be on the board behind me. If you please stand together, and we'll read these verses together, and then we will pray. Hebrews chapter 10, 23, 24, and 25, and Hebrews 13, 17. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Notice the plurality of that, let us, Okay. This only makes sense if you're talking about a local group of people doing it together. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That cannot happen on a universal scale. He's talking about on a local scale. To stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Chapter 13, verse 17, simply says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For what do they do? This reason, they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you uh, for your wonderful words of life, sustaining life, life-giving words. Father, as we go through some verses this morning, as we talk about uh, a love that is committed on a local level, in a visible, tangible way, that, Lord God, you would just stir our hearts. Stir our hearts to commitment. Stir our hearts to roll up our sleeves. To begin the process of building relationships. To begin the process of learning each other, which takes multiple, multiple times. A long, long time. It's not easy. But, Lord God, may we be committed to it. And may we do it because of Christ in each one of us. And because we have this profound love for one another that the world does not have. But I pray that they would look, see, and want as they look at Grace Community Church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's define membership. So we want to do two things. Number one, define membership. When an individual is saved, they are in Christ. They are united to Christ which also means they are united to what? His body, right? They're united to his body. Uh, good. So, so I'm, I got th- think you have four, and I'm only going to do two of them, okay? You probably figured that out, Doug. He goes, uh-oh, ho- hopefully. Anyway, okay? According to Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11, we are united to Christ. We are in him. He is in us, right? Okay? That's pretty simple. We get that. What we have a hard time, what many people, a lot of people have a hard time with is being part of his body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which you just read. I want to go back there just for a moment. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, let me read it again. We look at verse 12 and 13. For even as the body is one, notice the imagery of a body. Remember, he's using an analogy, a body, a person's body, I think. He's looking at it. And he's using it to show unity and diversity. But also, I think, in there is commitment. A body doesn't function properly when all the different parts are going different directions. If if my hand wants to go right, my left hand wants to go left, and and this foot wants to go right, and this one wants to go left, I'm going to be looking really weird, right? It can't do anything. It can't make progress. It won't work together. Isn't that right, Christian? It's pretty profound, isn't it? I got to think simple like that. Help me out here, will you? Okay. So, so for even as the body is one and yet has many members, different parts, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. And see, the picture is he is the head, and he's what it tells the rest of the body what direction to go. Okay? The lordship of Christ. He saves the body, he gives a direction, and says, head that way. You know what that way is. The image of Christ. He's the way. Follow after him. For by one spirit we are all baptized and again immersed into the body. It doesn't matter who that saved person is, whether Jew or Greek, black, white, green, purple. Sound good? Okay. It doesn't matter. In other words, who cares what the person looks like on the outside? 
Who cares? God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And has that heart been covered by the blood of Christ? Has that heart been redeemed? Has it been regenerate? Are you a new creature in Christ? I'm going to stop right there. I think one of the powerful testimonies a church could have is by seeing its diversity. It speaks to a world who can't get diverse without killing itself. You know what I mean? Christ is the power of diversity, not politics, not rules and regulations. You can have as many rules and regulations as you want, and our civil government does that. And I appreciate that. They need that, but it never changes a heart. The church today should be called, should wake up to be the model of diversity. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Amen? So we see this oneness here, made to drink of one spirit. The body is a beautiful, perfect picture, not only for the unity and and the oneness, but I believe that commitment that I just mentioned a minute ago. Parts bound together for a common purpose. So you have all these various parts, but the brain's telling it for this purpose. A football player or a sports person, a a runner, will discipline every member of their body, every part of their body for the purpose of running a marathon or being a good wide receiver or a good quarterback or, or whatever, right? And so they train all the members of their body, all the parts of them, for that purpose so they will be successful. So it is with the body of Christ. But we are all members. So here it is. Here's the definition. To become a member of a local church means to formally, to formally acknowledge, publicly say, uh, commit oneself to love a visible, identifiable local body of believers who have joined together for specific divinely ordained purposes. That's fancy, isn't it? Say it again. To become a member of a local church means to formally commit oneself to love a local church, a visible local group of bodies. You're saying, is I commit myself to love this group of believers. I like what they stand for. I like their doctrine. I like their emphasis. And so I want to commit to that. I want to be involved in that. I want to pour into that. Are you getting me? I want to pour into that. It's not what you get out of it. It's what you put into it. And so we have joined together for specific divinely ordained purposes. Some of those purposes include 1 Timothy 4.13 and 2 Timothy, preaching of the word. Right? It's our foundation. The use of spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. Loving one another. All the loving one another passages over for mutual edification, uh, uh, mutual encouragement, mutual comfort, mutual, right? You know, sometimes a part of the body is going to suffer. And so other parts go to it and minister to it. And by the way, you know, this part who goes to minister to someone who is suffering, you know, down the road, you might be that part that's suffering and it might reverse down the road. It's a beautiful part of the body of Christ. 
proclaiming the gospel, Matthew 28. You know, those basic things, spiritual gifts, the preaching of the word, loving one another, and, and the Great Commission. That's just summed up right there. Let me say one more thing. Make one more point of this before we go to point two this morning. You got to see that coming to Christ also involves coming to the church. When you come to Christ, you're coming also to his church. Isn't that beautiful? We see that in the book of Acts. Chapter two, from the very beginning, we see that. If you'd like to turn there or write this down, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. You have the day of Pentecost. You have the gospel preached by Peter. You have thousands of people saved. In verse 41, so then those who had received his word and were baptized, it's another way of saying those who were saved, those who were born again, those who trusted Christ, those who did it that day were added about 3,000 souls. What were they doing after that? They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking your bread into prayer. So local church was formed, wasn't it? And you see that pattern throughout the book of Acts, recurring itself. In other words, their personal relationship was also a corporate relationship. And let me make one more statement to end this section. Salvation without belonging to a local church is a foreign concept in the New Testament. Salvation without belonging to a local church is foreign to the New Testament. So why is it necessary? Why? Point number two. I'm going to give you three reasons. Number one, leadership. Number one, leadership. And this is where it scares me. So I want to get this one over with. Okay? We see that consistently throughout the New Testament, the pattern of leadership is a plurality of elders. That's why it's in our doctrinal statement. That's why it's in our bylaws. Okay? That's, it's there because we believe that's what the Bible teaches. Okay? They're to oversee the local body. Okay? We oversee your walk with Christ. It doesn't mean we tell you what to do all the time, but we ask questions. We try to be an example for you, right? And we encourage you to move forward in your walk with Christ. We want to try to come alongside you as much as possible, right? And to help you. When you're down, we want to pray for you. We want to hear praises from you, by the way. It encourages our heart, right? So if you've got good things happening, tell us. When we pray for you, I'm going to say, praise God. I, I like to have praises sometimes in my prayers because sometimes we're always kind of like, help this person, help that person, help this. This one's in trouble or this is, needs this help. You know, I'm like, you get the picture. Okay. So, the plurality of elders, plurality of elders, as we read in Hebrews thirteen seventeen this morning, right? Obey your leaders. Submit to them because they keep watch over your souls. That's how you know it's elders there because they keep watch over your souls. They're the overseers, okay? That's how we know he's talking about elders there in that verse. And they're accountable. I am accountable to God. At judgment, I'm going to be asked questions of the Lord Jesus Christ that you will not be asked, Simply because he called me, or elders, we're going to have to answer a certain particular way. Right? I mean, I mean, ask certain questions. Ask certain questions. Excuse me. So I want at this point to read you from our own bylaws. Okay? Multiple leadership, point number one, is part of our bylaws. Within each local church, we believe God provides a team of elders, also known as pastors slash overseers, or synonymous terms, to guide, lead, and enable the congregation to develop spiritual maturity. They're also known as shepherds who are responsible to feed the congregation the word of God for spiritual growth and service. Elders are appointed to exercise spiritual oversight, 
for the flock entrusted to them. We believe the functions of elders or bishops, overseers, or overseers to be identical, and the term elder refers mainly to the person, while bishop and overseer describes kind of what they do. Okay, elder is like kind of Ron is an elder, but what he does is he oversees and he shepherds. Does that make sense? But those terms are synonymous. So they fulfill various forms and roles with the congregation. So here's the point number one under why is it important? Because to commit to a local church with biblical elders means you're submitting yourself to their authority. I'm going to say something. Boy, has authority fallen on hard times in our culture, in the home, government, I mean, across the board, parents and children at work, I mean, all over the place. And you know, because authority has fallen on hard times, submission has fallen on hard times. It's the S word. No one likes to submit. But by submit, biblically, it means to willfully place yourself under the authority of another. So when you want to become a member of Grace Community Church, is something you want to do. You willfully do it, so you willfully place yourself under the authority of the elders, not blindly. We never ask you to do that blindly, but because of what you hear from the pulpit, because of what you see in our lives. No, you're not going to see perfection, but God willing, you better see direction. <laughs> you better see maturity in our lives and growth. By the way, your elders will make mistakes. The deacons will make, you're going to make mistakes. I said that from my own head. You already knew that. So they are responsible for the well-being of the sheep. And, and, and they can't do that if they don't know who the members are. We're not responsible for visitors. We're responsible to those who God has put under our charge. And those he put under our charge are those who have committed to this local church, who have said, I have committed myself to love this body of believers, and I willfully place myself under the authority of the elders. And you know what? Keep us accountable. Talk to us. Right? We keep ourselves accountable. and We, we want that. We desire that. We know we're going to make mistakes, and we want to be corrected when we do. Why? Because we want to be an example, right? We don't intentionally make mistakes. Or, okay. Here's the second reason. Church discipline, Matthew chapter 18. This presupposes a local congregation committed to itself, right? Think about it. Church discipline. Who do you discipline? Those who have, who are the elders going to know? You got an erring member, one, a member who is a person, I should say, who is in sin. How do we know how to address them appropriately unless we know they're a part of the body and have been committed to the body? This only makes sense in a local context, right? It's a guideline for elders to use with members who have fallen into sin. Make sense? So it helps us out. And this presupposes that elders know who their members are. Because, because they've said, we're, we're committed here. We're here. Right? We're under your authority. And now let me stop. Peter comes along in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 3. He says to lead by example, not ruling it over you. 
So we're not talking leadership this way. Not at all. Right? Not at all. And when we do, we're in sin. Plain and simple, isn't it? Yeah. This morning, I'm just being frank, you know. So, finally, third reason why membership is important is because of the responsibilities of membership. Responsibilities of membership. What I want you to understand here is nothing more than the emphasis is it's what you pour into it. It's not what you get out. When you think of church membership, it's not a country club membership. It's not, oh, I got access to the pool, the clubhouse, this and that. No, it's I'm committing myself to pour into these group of people. Does that make sense? Two words kind of summarize this responsibilities of membership. Edification, mutual edification, mutual encouragement. That's it. But again, I'm going to refer to our bylaws. Here's a, here's a number of responsibilities we have listed in our bylaws, and let me read them. Begin to wrap this up, by the way. To walk together in Christian love. To exercise Christian care and watchfulness over one another. You, you know, yeah, we're overseers, but we want to be an example of you guys developing relationships with one another and encouraging one another and kind of watching each other, right? If you see someone, you know, you're watching their life and you notice they're going off to the left, maybe into sin, or they're going off in doctrine, you lovingly approach them. Don't you, you'll see things that the elders will not see, right? So to exercise Christian care and watchfulness over one another, to pray with and for one another, sharing our burdens, sorrows, and joys. To be thoughtful and courteous to one another, to be slow to take offense and to be quick to forgive and to seek forgiveness. Another responsibility is to guard the spiritual and scriptural purity and peace of the church. And to promote its usefulness as a witness to the saving grace of God in Christ Jesus, his son. This is just right out of our bylaws. To assist through the gifts of the spirit and the work of the church and to promote its usefulness. To contribute as the Lord directs to the financial support of the church. The relief of the needy and evangelism of people. You know, if the preacher's worthy of hire, if he's preaching the word, then, you know, feed the ox. I'm an ox Christian, you know. So, I'm glad you're sitting up here this morning. You helped me out a lot, buddy. To engage regularly in personal Bible reading and prayer. And to establish family devotions where possible, in your home, right? This is, this is our commitment to one another. This is, this is who we are, to bring up children as may be entrusted to our care and the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to be above reproach in the world, to be honest in the sight of all men, to be faithful in engagements, exemplary in conduct, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. So we need accountability. Because our worlds can get so private, we can easily fall into sin without anybody else knowing it. How about to endeavor to share our faith with, with Christ, with other people, evangelism. Praying for opportunities. Inviting people to church. Because you'll know they'll, they'll be loved when they're here, and they'll hear the gospel. And they'll witness the power of the gospel in the lives of those who are here. And finally, to purpose that when we remove ourselves from this place, we will as soon as possible unite with some other church. You know, as elders, we have no problem saying, find a church where, where you can grow and blossom. Find a church 
where you can submit to its leadership. And I have no problem saying, if it's not here, find one. I am not the best leader in this area. I am not the best pastor. I've never, I try to never look at myself that way because once I do, I get depressed. <laughs> Seriously. You have no idea the battles that rage inside my mind and my heart at times. So find a place where you can unite, you can come together, be involved in the edification and mutual encouragement, where you can carry out these responsibilities as a believer with that local group of people so that you can be a, a visible, the church is visible in a local context and be part of the body of Christ. Let me wrap this up. We're done with that by saying this, also out of our Constitution Point 15, we believe that the local church, this is out of our doctrinal statement, the body and bride of Christ is God's most precious possession today. The local church is the real and visible presence of his love and grace. We believe in the continuance, the establishment and organization of local churches as taught and defined in the New Testament, period, and a lot of verses that follow after that. It's part of our doctrinal statement. And you see what? The elders are called to be faithful to that statement. Be faithful to our doctrinal statement. Be faithful to our bylaws and carrying them out.